0: you're listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there. My name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food and drink but quite a lot about drink uh, for this particular show. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs, but I'm also joined by my guest today, Ollie Bolton of Watermelon. So I'm, I'm sitting between two Ollies. You are. <laughs> a lot of people pay a lot of money. For it's it. a bit yeah. sit between two Ollies, yeah. Um, you're double I E, aren't you, Ollie Because you're yeah. a little bit posh, but you've you've just got a Y. Just a Y. Cause just
1: cause less is more. Less is more. Quality's not quantity. Yes,
2: I've got a Y in my surname, so I don't need another Y. That's the other thing, you see.
0: Like you knew that when you
2: were born. I was Oliver. I was christened Oliver.
0: Oliver. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I'm a rose between two thorns here because they've been giving me a load of trouble already. We haven't even started broadcasting it um before we hand over to the Ollie Bolton of Watermelon as opposed to Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs Ollie um you're doing your Great British Chefs um cheese awards aren't you yeah
2: the great british cheese awards are you in the middle of judging at the moment we, i'm pretty excited we're we're pretty close to um a, a, a brutal afternoon of probably trying 50 cheeses with about 15 judges but good for um, your cholesterol yeah, really good for the cholesterol um but as you, as you can probably notice, I've been taking on turmeric recently, so I'm just looking that much more glowing. As yeah, and you've been taking week. those seaweed tablets yeah, from last week. i I'm actually, I've, I've only just gorgeous. come down. You look my absolutely theme. gorgeous, Ollie. Uh, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so the Great British Cheese Awards is uh, the only um, sort of consumer-led cheese awards where what we try and do is celebrate artisanal cheese. So people who are making small batches of really interesting cheeses and so, just British. Just British, um, and there's there's just so much innovation going on in the world of cheese. And, you know, we had the guys from Renegade Monk on the other week. Oh, that was fabulous. Which was really good, really S- good. Stunk the studio out. But it it did. Marvellous. Yeah, yeah, hopefully more people bought it as a result. I hope so. Um, and, yeah, we've got loads of amazing cheeses come through, and we're looking forward to sort of selecting the winners and raising my cholesterol.
0: Mm-hmm. very good. Well, keep Tough taking job. those
2: seaweed tap maybe that'll yeah. offset some of it. Yeah.
0: Um I was reading this thing in the newspaper uh, this week which I thought was um it's a couple of weeks old but I thought it was really interesting. There's this guy called I don't know how to pronounce it Patamis I think his name was and um he was like a really important Egyptian official 3300 years ago. Didn't know him personally. Didn't you not? No. Well, I <laughs> would have known that. Um and he used to serve the pharaohs like um, Seti the First and Ramses the Second, and he rose so high in Egyptian bureaucracy uh, that he was buried in a tomb befitting his status, which was a seventy-meter suite of chambers. Nice. Yeah, south of Cairo. His tomb was discovered in 1855 and, and lots of its contents were plundered, probably mostly by the British, I'm afraid. Should I imagine. Uh, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then his tomb got lost to the shifting sta- sands. Anyway, they rediscovered it in 2010 and they found these um, these sort of, these, I suppose, casks and, 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 and vases sort of thing and inside it was this, this white stuff and they weren't quite sure what it was. So they took it away to be um, to be analysed. It was cheese. Wow. Three thousand three hundred years. So this cheese—it's a hard cheese has been maturing for three thousand three hundred years, and that's with a sort of dehydration, and then there's flood, so it's being hydrated again. <laughs> so they—they ter- they, th- there has been cheese discovered that's, um, y- you know, sort of uh, fermented milk, but this was actually hard cheese. Now wow. hard cheese, as you know, is is quite a process, isn't it? It yeah. It's not. Doesn't just. You just don't leave it there and it becomes hard cheese. Um. So they had it anal- analyzed, and it was a mixture of buffalo, sheep, and goat milk. And quite a lot of technology going on, which people did not think um, existed before then. So it just shows he loved his cheese. Three thousand three hundred years. So maybe the
2: Great Egyptian Cheese Awards could be the next thing.
0: I bet it had. I bet it had. I can't imagine you could taste it now, could you?
2: No, No, probably probably not. I'm, I'm, you know, sure it's not. You know, really ready for human consumption.
0: But it does. It does show that even then we've got somebody who's. He's got a bit, of,
2: you a, bit know, of a bit of a
0: cheese love. If,
2: it's, it's if you
0: were buried thing. with a cheese, what cheese
2: would you be buried with? Do you know, it's probably a shows, which really? is a French cheese. That's really kind of, it's just, a, for me, it's a childhood cheese. It's a cheese that my mother always used to buy. And mm. I just, it's, it's got for me that, that fantastic thing, which it wants to walk off the plate if you leave it long enough. Yeah. And the thing you need to do is, ex, is exercise a degree of discipline, which is when you buy them most of the time, they're not ready. So oh, them I'm sure I can manage that. So you have to then leave them in the fridge for a while, and then suddenly you discover them at the back of the fridge, and you're like, oh. Oh,
0: uh-huh. you know, Nice to see you. Other Ollie, would you, would you be, what cheese would you be buried
1: with? That's a with? very good question. I actually recently, recently subscribed to the Cheese Geek. Oh. They send you a kind of monthly little box of different cheeses, and it changes, and I really enjoyed, um, is it Compte? You yeah, say, yep. my favorite. Com- yeah, See, com- I'd
0: be buried with that. Yeah, that and again, really I'm good. so. Oh no, Bix. Do you remember um, Patricia Michaelman from uh, from Alderley bought yeah, yeah. Bix on that tasted and mate. I, I know I'd be buried with that actually. Yeah, mm. but you'd like Comte, but yeah, com- of, Comte. That's it. Yeah. A bit of nice nuttiness. Yeah,
1: yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was the, mm. definitely the favorite.
0: Well, moving on from dying and being buried. Um, yeah, should we talk about sugar? <laughs> should we talk about sugar? Yeah. Um, there's a real shift at the moment, isn't there, uh, about avoiding sugar. It seems like there's been quite a lot of um, campaigning going on, and then all of a sudden it seems to have hit the consumer market. Is that the research you're finding?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we d- we did this research back in January of this year to ask, we asked a simple question, which we asked people to agree or disagree with, which is, I tried to avoid sugar, right? And then when we asked in January, 45% of the UK, right, nationally representative sample, 3,000 people, so pretty accurate, um, data set said they avoided sugar
0: that's right? a hugely, which is
2: a huge number and then we we, we looked at that at january healthy eating you know maybe people are coming off the back of you know christmas mm. and all the sweets and everything that goes with that so we thought let's rerun it as when we do our, our our summer survey and we asked it again in july and it had gone up to 54 oh, percent which is like wow and i i think you're right i think that I think we're seeing the same thing with plant-based eating, reducing meat, following more healthy diets. I think people are just beginning to understand, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, that some of the manufacturing processes and some of the things in, 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 in products are just not what people want to put in their body. And they're just trying to make better choices. And we are trying to dig into that whole thing around what does avoiding sugar mean? Is that meaning you're not putting sugar in your tea is that that you're avoiding high sugar drinks is that that you're when you're you know making a recipe you're reducing the amount of sugar It was interesting i was cooking a recipe of nigel slaters the other day which was a an orange polenta cake and it had 150 grams of caster sugar and 150 grams 250 grams of caster sugar and 250 grams of butter and it was just too sweet and it was a recipe from the kitchen diaries which is quite an old book nowadays and i'm kind of interested do you think tastes have changed i think people are putting less sugar in and i think that when we looked if you look if you'd written that recipe now i think you'd have probably had like 160 170 grams of sugar and would have cut it much much further down or even used a substitute mm. and i think people are you know i think that stuff is changing
0: so another thing mm. in the news here is um craft Heinz, huge uh, company they've just launched um springboard it's called uh, which is an incubator platform uh, dedicated to scaling and accelerating the growth of disruptor startup brands, do you think these bigger companies now are, you know, seeing that there's trends like that and actually don't quite know how to respond? So they're they're, they're sort of, you know, kickstarting and, and and funding people who come in and do something like that. You know, well,
2: we we've seen Diageo do it. Diageo do huge amounts of investment in, you know, they famously backed Seedlip, um, and you know, lots of these brands are aware that. They've got a lot of cash reserves and they're trying to find clever ways of growing things. And the truth of the matter is, and I say this as someone who runs a a startup, is that, you know, if you are trying to create something within a large corporation, the cost base is just significantly higher than if you're doing it as a startup. Mm. And therefore, you can, you know, you can scale or fail... Rapidly and more cheaply, and that's kind of the name of the game, isn't it?
0: But they're sort of giving up having uh, innovation in house, it seems. I mean, craft um, hinds here say that this they've identified natural and organic well, well, spelted that's been around for a while, obviously on the ball, aren't they? Um, speciality and craft, health and performance, and experiential as key categories.
2: Yeah, well, they've done their research Experiential. Over the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> It's look. I mean, I think. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, is, that if you are a large corporation, you what you are focusing on is global scale and global domination, and therefore actually trying to create, you know, sriracha mayonnaises is just not top of your priority because it's just going to take a lot longer. So you you let things burn and you. Slowly identify the opportunity. I will say that Heinz's headquarters, which is just outside London, is one of the most beautiful pieces of modern architecture you've ever seen. It's a sort of low slung modernist building, which is quite stunning. Well, let's put the
0: conversation to an end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um,
2: Ollie. I was giving you a segue back into the world we both <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about.
0: So, Ollie, you, you know, um, I've, I've uh, drunk your sort of watermelon drink, which, which I quite like, because I quite like watermelons yeah. as a taste. Um, now, watermelon as a fruit is 91% water. According to our research. Very true, yeah. Six percent natural sugars. So you've got something there that's got natural sugars in it, but low in natural sugars mm. really. Mm. Um although it tastes quite sweet, I I think, watermelon. Mm. Um and uh could that drink ever have been developed in one of the bigger in one of the bigger organisations? Do you think that would have been possible?
2: I don't think so. I don't
0: think it'd seen the light of day. I mean well,
2: you know, it's interesting. There's often innovation that comes out of these big corporations that then fails and mm. they 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 come too early occasionally. Um, but I don't know of any of the big corporations who've tried anything in the watermelon space, have they? No, I mean, I think one of the challenges we
1: had with watermelon was finding a recipe that was stable and finding a production process that... Enabled the product to you know to have a shelf life of any meaningful length, that took us about a year to find the right partner and to find the right processes that to, to, to work with the product and to to get the nine month shelf life that we have. So I think that's definitely a nine month shelf life. You've, yeah, and you've got to do that presumably, otherwise we don't have to. But our food
0: service is going to be difficult ex- taking ex- it on.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, our, our ambition has always been to have products that you know are as affordable as possible and and as as available as possible and if you go down see the chilled route, then not only is it more environmentally um unfriendly with the refrigeration of of, of trucks and storage, but the price is going to be more expensive and you, you're you know, you're restricted on where you can actually sell the product.
0: So when I go in, let's say um at St Pancras Station, there's there's like a sourced market thing there, whatever it's called. Mm. I look in that chilled cabinet and there is rosemary water. There's Honey water. Mm. Um, there's dash cucumber water. There's coconut water. We've got watermelon water. It's a crowded category, guys. So difficult to make a success.
1: It, it you know, it is. It's incredibly competitive, and you know, it's only got more competitive over the years. And I had a conversation with the waitress bar about two years ago, and she she sounded quite overwhelmed on the phone, and she she said, you know, look, Ollie, I'm I'm literally overwhelmed with the amount of functional drinks health drinks they're getting in touch with me and i just don't have the time to, to even talk to everyone or get back to everyone yeah. there's that much innovation happening in the market
0: and she's sort of curator in a way isn't she yeah exactly exactly yeah.
2: But, but i think the other thing that's difficult is and, mm. and this is where i think it becomes particularly difficult for emerging brands like yourself is is that then you've got the Volviks and the perrier's and the Danones and and all those guys who then go ooh fruit based water and they yeah. then throw a couple of million quid of marketing behind it and obviously can pay the retailer fees that are required to get those big distributions mm. and that then does also further crowd out of the market because it is easy to copy and, and copy not very well uh, i would say yeah i mean i it, yeah, i think with
1: with with watermelon no one one's of, copied it yet, have they? There are there are a couple of other oh. brands um, on the market, but the challenge is is getting the the quality products, you know, and, and getting the production right. And there's one manufacturer in Europe that's that's capable of um, of really of really producing a good quality product, and we've got an exclusive arrangement with them. So, that helps us to say. So, in a way,
0: what you've got to do is try to protect your market, haven't you, in some way? Um, um, or go to a route that is really difficult to source the natural product, something like that, but but something that's quite difficult uh, is going to protect your market position more. Because so, lots of others are so easy to copy. I mean, if you look at Fevertree, you know, what's happened there, I cannot believe the amount of money that Fevertree has gone for and has managed to overtake somebody who's a market leader. Because actually, it is quite diff- quite easy to copy what they've done,
2: and people have and people do. You know, I mean, mm. I think Fevertree is you know a phenomenal business, and I think you know what Tim and Charles have done there is incredible. But the reality is, there are now loads of emerging tonic water mm. brands that are now trying to be like you know, oh, I'm now using this rather than that, and it's like the problem with becoming big is then you lose your kind of cachet as yeah. bit like. You know, no one would mm. say, oh, you're using Nespresso nowadays, you know, whereas 10 years ago, it would be like, oh, wow. You know, and I think this is the problem with as you gain that scale. It's very difficult. But you're right. The question is, how do you erect barriers to entry in this world? And it is, it's difficult. I mean, I think with Fevertree,
1: because I actually met Charles right at the beginning of my sort of drinks journey when he just launched Fevertree. And I think they had about a four or five year runway of of, of no competition directly in with premium um, Mixers, so I think they that gave them enough time to cement their position in the market and By the time competitors came in they'd already were dominating and they were the household name and everyone associated premium mixes with Fevertree But but
2: you know it's interesting it's you, you say that but only mm-hmm. the the numbers only nine percent of this is this data dates back to, to January of this year I think only nine percent of the UK Fever Fevertree regularly you know, it's like John it's,
0: Stapleton when he did New Covent Garden Soup and suddenly his yeah. soup was in a carton. Mm. It, easy to copy. It, it took a while, but he did have a... As, as he you had a He had a sort mm. of runway mm. where you've got a really short amount of time to establish a lead and then protect that lead like hell, which might mean that you start dropping prices because that's another barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you manage to you know, get your production to such a level, it becomes hard as a new entrant to come in at that price point. Um, but you've got to look at marketing tactics to protect it, haven't you?
1: Yeah, and I think innovation, You know, looking at MPD, looking at flavours, looking at pack sizes. So, you know, for example, with watermelon we're now, we've developed a pineapple flavour um, and, a, and a strawberry flavour and a mint flavour. So we're just talking to retailers now about that.
0: Watermelon pineapple flavour. Yeah, hmm.
1: delicious. Is it? Yeah. You
2: didn't yeah. bring anything.
0: Did i saw
1: you? no, I should have brought some. I no. think it's got
2: a hint of pineapple in it. A hint of pineapple. Mm. Yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah. So you, you've made quite a success of watermelon, but you obviously didn't want to just do that, obviously, <laughs> did
1: you? <laughs> no, no, I mean no. we we've. So it, it, it's uh, you know our our company um, our, our positioning our belief is to is to bring disruptive hydration drinks to market and we have, we have watermelon and then we, we've developed this new product FACT.
0: FACT water which we have in front of us so I was giving you a nice little tea up there. Thank you thank you. So I've got this can in front of me um, so it's um, so your others are in cartons aren't they but these are in cans.
1: Yes exactly yeah watermelons in a tetra pack um, mm. and FACT in a can and in a nutshell it's an organic flavoured zero sugar sparkling water um, and it says on here very nice. very nice, yeah. very nice.
0: And um cans are interesting, Ollie
1: for recyclability. Bec-
0: yeah, for recyclability. but do you know what They're becoming much more acceptable. so the beer craft beer now in 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 cans isn't frowned upon like it used to be. and I think I think the public are are quite happy now to buy a can as as opposed to sort of glass bottle for for all sorts of reasons.
2: yeah, it makes lots of sense from a recycling perspective and mm. and other reasons. keeps colder. I mean, we now. met, do you remember the guys we met from um of water? yeah. Really nice guys, and they were trying to, you know, do the whole thing about air a can; it's more recyclable and stuff. Mm. But this, I mean, this is a really, you know, this space of sparkling, you know, w- mm. water with flavouring is yeah. is really. I mean, you know, is, as we we're saying, it's really competitive. Like Volvic are on the game now. Mm. There are, you know, there are any number of, of different brands. Of space. What are you guys doing to sort of, I suppose, tell a trying to try to tell a different story? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think that for, for us, we use a little bit of stevia in our product.
1: So unlike, say, Dash and Ugly. I believe that the stevia brings out the, the, the flavors, the organic flavors more. So it's actually perhaps a bit more um, enjoyable to drink. But our key USP is we are, um, we're the first, Almond is the first brand on, sorry, Fact is the first brand on Almond. And Almond is our new traceability and reward platform. So underneath every ring pull, you can see there's a unique code. And that code is linked to the, that flavor and that batch. And if you scan that through the Armoured oh, app. Oh,
0: look, see?
1: So yeah. I've got a little. Um, it's like a mini QR code. Yeah, it looks like a
0: tiny QR code.
1: Yeah. So if you scan that with our app, you not only get 10 pence as a reward, but it tells you exactly what's in that can and exactly where it's come from. And then we can do some, some fun stuff like we can also look at your GPS location of, uh, of the location of where you scan and work out the estimate carbon footprint of I'm the joking. can.
0: I'm trying to find it on my phone. There's no way that's
2: going to work, right? No. I was going to try then, but...
0: So, so that's
2: and an interesting piece of But you say technology. a platform. So you've launched... So so Fact mm. is a brand that is using the Armand yeah. platform. So the Armand platform is a completely separate project. And it's
1: actually being set up as a foundation, a non-profit foundation. And it was really inspired from um, becoming a B Corp two and a half years ago with Waterbomb. So we were the first um, soft drinks company in Europe to be a B Corp. And to chatting to other B Corp brands, you know, chatting to B Corp itself and, and, and watching the importance of purpose in, in, in businesses and consumer products and essentially trying to find a way to help purpose-led brands enter the mass market and enter the mainstream. And my belief is what's missing is having that economic incentive to encourage people to scan and encourage people to buy purpose-led brands. So, that's what, we're so trying what you're to doing
0: is I mean, people who register as B Corp is actually quite difficult to, to do that. Mm. And, and B Corp in a way is, is almost like a quality standard or a flag. Exactly. That you know that this company does particular things. Um but lots of people don't go for B Corp as a thing. Mm. Um, but what this platform does then is it allow it, it allows people to go on and you've traced that journey. So you've mm. you've Auth- authenticated, if you like, that they are that they are a profit of purpose, purpose and and they're doing certain things.
1: Yeah, Is that right. Yeah, exactly. So the brands on the platform are, are vetted. Yeah. Um. And and but you know by being a B Corp automatically you're welcome to to join. Yeah, because you know they've already gone all these boxes. Yeah. However, there are some other brands who, who maybe aren't affiliated with with fair trade or or with certain schemes who who actually are doing business in the right way. So. Um, and they should be on, on on a platform. So we're actually bringing together brands, um, purpose-led brands from different um, certifications, all under one roof. But building in this um, this reward mechanism as a way to kind of engage loyalty and to actually encourage. build, in, yeah, mm. building the financial incentives to to encourage people to support these purpose-led brands.
2: Which is, I mean, you know, which comes back to our conversation about how do you differentiate? And I mm. think that is. You know, I think that's one of the great difficulties is trying to, you know, obviously you have not not brands of what your evolution don't necessarily have the budget to tell the big stories that, say, a Heinz have the ability to tell. And so actually trying to find ways of using marks and using affiliations and mm. groupings is a really... These,
0: these guys can't compete on that. It doesn't matter what your marketing spend is or, or how multinational, billion you know dollar valuation you might have you you can't get on something like that because you just don't have those
2: credentials no but they can blow they can blow the water out of you know we, they can really make a very strong impact to say we are a sustainable led business we're moving to this or that so they can they can tell whether the story may be less powerful they can tell mm. it more loudly and that often might get them distribution it might get them you know that this, this you know it, it's the david goliath thing here which is you guys might have a more authentic story and a more value based system story but you know there are lots of corporations who are trying to move in those directions and it's you know
0: but i went to this um, i went to this thing um, a few weeks ago and there was there was somebody from some huge corporate financial services corporate saying how they were trying to do this and how they're trying to do that and they're donating money here and and this woman was amazing and and clearly inside that company that's what she's trying to do but you cannot disguise the fact that at the back end of that they're paying all their suppliers late, or they suddenly write to everybody and say mm. we won't pay in one hundred twenty-eight, you know, one hundred twenty days. And there is all these awful, dreadful, you know, working yep. things that they have underneath all that. And I still find it you know, transparently thin, in, you know, in, in terms of what, they, you know, and they need, if they're going to do it, you have to do it authentically because social media will find you out, mm. it will. And and I don't and think they can compete with what Ollie's
2: doing. No, I agree with that.
1: Having said that, there are some really um, exciting larger brands yes, who, are, who, who, yeah. who are B Corps and like Unilever springs to mind and, and they've been recently acquiring B Corp brands. But they, um, there's a really interesting stat um last year that they seventy percent of their growth came from their purpose led brands. I think they call them sustainable living
2: brands. Yeah. Yeah. Which which look, Paul Polman has been very um it's it's kind of what he where he's hung his hat. That is his story. That is his but transformation. That's, a, that's an amazing business reason to do so. No, of um, course it is. And then, you know yeah. you talk to, you know, some of the senior guys at Unilever, and they will talk about the fact that while combustible packaging isn't important today, it will be in the future. Mm. And look, I think these corporations there are some of them who get this challenge, and there are others who don't. And but there's I, a really good business case There to is do completely so. a business case to so, do so. So to say
0: that it's going to cost... I mean, you can imagine some of those board meetings where they like, oh, no, we can't really do that, cost a fortune, put our prices up. And, uh, no, 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 think about it in a much more strategic way.
2: But remember we had the guy in the other day with the corn combustible... Cornware. Cornware. Grape. Grape, Grape company. company. And, you know, the, we had the conversation about you're spending X... If You know, you're foolish enough to spend X pounds on the high street buying an overly sugared drink from a retail chain, which has a chino at the end of it. And, you know, you would be prepared to pay an extra one P to have combustible packaging. And, and you know, actually that in those cases, the, the corporation should be able to take those decisions. That's what they need to do to be sustainable and to be, you know, to lead the conversation.
0: Well, I do think they I do think they're, um, they're, they're. financials are beginning to show. They are the, the, the strain of it, and that is why they're, they're you know like Heinz, where we were talking about are building all these things, because that their 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 figures are beginning to. You
2: but know, go back to the sugar stuff. conversation. You know, mm. it's like that ten percentage point move that we've seen this year. That's seismic. It's huge. You know, look. Let's say there's a there's an error. There's a marginal data error in that. You know, it's three thousand people nationally representative sample. It's a big old group. It's a serious issue now, and consumers are going to start to to vote with their feet.
0: So, what do you think will happen to these big corporates? Do you think it will really? Do you know? Do you think they're going to go think, the way of
2: Woolworths or or, no, they'll, or they'll, anything they'll, like that? No, they do exactly what they've you know. If you take you know Unilever recently sold their margarine business because they realised it was not
0: going,
2: going in the right direction. <laughs> And what they do is they kind of, they divest of one thing to a group of private equity people or another group of people and they will buy other stuff. So in the end, Unilever can, and these kind of corporations can trade in and out and, you know, they will acquire, you know, the use of this world and the real catch-ups of this world and the dashes or the, you know, whoever it happens to be um, because they think they align with their brand purpose. If they can copy it, they will copy it. But if they feel the only way to get there is acquisition, they'll get there through acquisition. And is that because they've got a huge stable
0: of brands that actually is going to protect them? Because in, in essence, they've got dozens and dozens and dozens of brands and therefore they can just trade in and out, get rid of them, do this, do that, the other. Mm. Whereas sometimes, obviously, if you've got bricks and mortar and people aren't going to see you, then you're 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 going to die pretty quickly. And if if you look at Marks and Spencers, you can see that's what's happening. There.
2: Yeah, and you, you, mm. you know there's that famous chart that's knocked around a lot, which is that... About seven corporations that control like eighty percent of the world's food. You know. It's, see, I want to scream. I know, but 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 it's but you know. But you know that chart where they've got you know Unilever and they've got Heinz and they've got Nestle and Procter and Gamble and and a whole series of others. And you see all these brands, and some of them are great brands. You know, like Amoy or you know, you know the, the you know some of the Unilever brands. I mean, there are some food brands in there that you kind of go not many. Twinings. You know, there are there are certain mm. brands that you know. Have roles in the British stable household, you know, portfolio, but there are a lot that don't.
1: And actually, that's one of the reasons for setting Armand up as a foundation is because it can never be acquired, and it will it will always remain impartial, and we will have a, a, a separate committee of individuals who will drive the agenda for who will have a finite never term. Never be acquired, no matter how much. It can't be, yeah. Foundation, foundation, bit yeah. like blockchain, really. You
0: protect. Well, again, you're protecting it, aren't you, so that yeah. it can't. It's got a yeah. legacy.
1: So actually, we, 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 Armand
2: is built on a, a blockchain platform.
0: There you go. See yeah. how clever was I <laughs> when I said that? <laughs> We've
2: got blockchain. We've had blockchain <laughs> referenced on this program for a long time. No, we haven't. Oh, yeah. No, we
0: haven't. It's no. actually,
1: it's actually a distributed ledger called Hadira Hashgraph, which is a, it's a new type of blockchain. It's not technically a blockchain, but mm. it's. Uh, it's a more efficient more affordable <laughs> platform. Um,
0: so in terms of fact water then uh so that's fact f-a-c-t um where can people go and find out more about that and more about this platform if they want to mm. go and
1: buy so, so we have literally just launched fact um and we're launching into whole foods next month um and then we are we're, we're going out at the moment into schools and universities and colleges so through food service um and with regards to Almond, um, they can find out more at almond.io. How do I spell that? Uh, almond, like the nut. Almond. Yeah, Almond. Um, A-L-M-O-N-D. Um, and then we, yeah, we, we, that's just literally, we've got the proof of concept live with fact. You can actually download on the App Store um, and on um, Google Play, um, the Almond app, and Buy a can and scan it, and we actually got a we've got a deal on at the moment where the first twenty thousand users, um, they get a, a you get a pound of credit if you scan a can, so you get the can for free basically. Scan a can? <laughs>
0: um, and where can somebody go if they um if they would like to be featured on your platform because they they have got this this really good sort of purpose behind them?
1: Yeah, I just, just you know there's there's contact details on contact. the website, but just go on the website. Yeah, no, but um um Oliver Armand.io is probably the best way
2: to
0: never give your personal email out. I've learned that a long time ago. <laughs> hmm. Bots will now be contacting
2: you saying we are legitimate. We're just we're just running out of yeah, it's a, a, a tro a troll factory yeah. in just yeah. outside of Moscow. It's on your uh, yeah. put us on your platform, really. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure
0: we're gonna see lots more of that, uh, Ollie, hmm. where people know they can go somewhere and somebody's done all that hard work checking credentials for them.
2: Yeah, because it's interesting, yeah. we did that recent research about what is it that drives consumers' choice and actually Things like Soil Association don't rank that high. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a whole thing in the press recently about Red Tractor, which I thought was, again, really interesting. There is a brand mark that theoretically was trustworthy. Mm. And basically, like... it's not. It's not. Yeah. Well, th- th- there's a lot of debate about basically they're not should checking the way they should be checking. And, you know, you've got basically people misusing what the Red Tractor logo is. Cause there are obviously, lots of people in the Red Tractor Association who are, doing what they're supposed to be doing, but there are a lot of, of people who aren't. Mm. And the problem is, is that, you know, there's a phrase about one thing at a pool party ruins a pool party. I'm not going to use that phrase anyway. Um, but you know, it, in the end, I'm you sure only need one you? bad apple and yeah, it's, it's and done, done, isn't done.
0: it? Absolutely done. So, um, thank you very much for joining us, Ollie Bolton. If you haven't tried the um, watermelon drink. I'd recommend it I like it thank very you very nice. much Great. thank you for having me that's alright got to like watermelons otherwise probably not your cup of tea <laughs> um, but definitely um, check out the platform I think that's uh, going to be an interesting development um, any final comments Do you know on my
2: only problem with the watermelon
0: where you think the hydration
2: you know, you, market's going watermelons are just so I mean I love fruit but they're enormous, you know. When you buy a watermelon, mm. you need you need a lot of people in a household eating a lot of watermelon to get through it, which is why they, the, the, yeah. that's
0: why it makes a drink. It makes of a drink it, out of it? <laughs> yeah, know, yeah.
2: There you go. There's the problem solved. I've still can't
0: game <laughs> well, I've still got a horrible image in my head of you eating a mango in the bath. That's just, I haven't. That eaten, no, I was
2: told to that you should eat a mango in the bath. I oh, haven't I had that
0: mango image of it. Awful. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Um, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield as well as being on podbean itunes and the podcast app we're on spotify now so you can find us there thank you to my fellow presenter ollie lloyd of great british chefs thank you ollie you're welcome uh, good luck with the british cheese awards fantastic and and if you want to recommend any future guests someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector get in touch with us via twitter on at food Show, or you can listen to any of our hundred podcasts on foodtalk.co.uk or via the amazing and wonderful Great British Chefs website. So, have a good week. Bye-bye.